The Zooier Than Thou podcast contains mature content and language and may not be suitable for younger audiences. Thanks for your understanding. Friends, Romans, zoos of all species, lend me your ears. It's time for Zooier Than Thou. Hey, what can I say? You got me howling at the moon. but don't you know the love is wild when you're a zoo. Greetings, fellow zoos, and welcome to the first episode of Zooier Than Thou, Season 2. I'm Toggle, and I'm down to Boggle. And I'm Sigma, a small dragon sitting on Toggle's shoulder. And we'll be the captains of this Zooey cruise into the future. It's an honor to be a host on the first episode of the season. Well, with Fausty gone and Love Cat busy being a cat, we needed to make sure we had someone on the show who was verbose enough to fill their shoes. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not. Well, the contributors chat has gotten a lot harder to keep up with, but... You always have absolutely fantastic things to say, and you say them so well. I'm bringing a little bit of the Zooville essay format to the chat, I suppose. <laughs> well, seriously, it's always really cool to read what you have to say, and our listeners are in for a real treat this month. I will thank you, Toggle. So, where do we start? Same place we always start, with emails. So, first up, here's one from Red Rocket Ship Pilot. The pilot writes... I exist in a sort of gray area between Zoo and Zoo Ally, and this has made me somewhat uncertain. I find myself thinking, can my support for zoos be considered unbiased? Should I seek zoo social spaces when they aren't really for me? All too often in this human world, gray areas get shoved to the fringes of categorization when the lines are drawn and are essentially ignored. It feels like polarization on many topics is at an all-time high. And I think those who exist in the gap between have the potential to bridge over the rampant dehumanization, yet we don't often seem to hear from them, perhaps because they feel it is a world of polarity and so their voices don't matter. Or maybe they just don't want to be caught in the crossfire. What are your thoughts on all of our undefined fellow persons? Do you think those who blur the line between zoo and non-zoo should be heard from? Now, I don't know. What do you think, Toggle? Well, I'm wondering about this. Um, what is what is the line between zoo and non-zoo? Um, that that's an interesting space to be, uh, and I'm not sure how that's defined. Uh, maybe a furry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe furry. Um, I think, you know, I, I think that right now, especially, uh, we we really need as a zoo community all the allies we can get. Um, and if someone feels somewhere on the edge of that, uh, I don't see why excluding them is actually very helpful to anyone, uh, w whether them or the zoo community itself. Um, so I, I really would love to understand what this means that you exist in a gray area between zoo and zoo ally. Um, what is the gray area there? Quite frankly, uh, I prefer to hang out in Mitsui and non-Zui communities. I actually, I mean, quite honestly, I, I find 
um, zoo-focused communities to be boring, and and communities where there are none at all, there uh, that feel brave enough to speak out, uh, are kind of depressing to me. Whereas there there are actually there are hangouts online where there's a couple of zoos there that they are out they've always been out they've been out since the 19 1980s i'm not kidding <laughs> uh, where there've always been like a handful of zoos there that have always been out they've always been a part of the community they've been accepted by the leadership there uh, yeah there are mixed zoe and non-zoe communities out there i prefer them that's a good point you know it, it is interesting to think about it that way because one of the the cool things for zoos to experience is uh, being in a place where they can uh, be themselves around people who aren't necessarily just like them. And there are there are times where it's nice to just be with the zoos, you know? But it is nice to be a zoo. It's like if you're gay and you sometimes it's nice to have a gay space, but it's also sometimes nice to have people there who support you, even if it's not a gay space, you know what I mean? Yeah, my husband. My husband is a, is a gay guy that honestly cannot stand uh, gay bars. Uh, it's that only once in a while. He only really ever liked to go to goth clubs when he was in his 20s. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, he was in Hell's Kitchen, New York in the 1980s, and, and he never wanted to go to the gay bars. He wanted to go to the goth clubs where he could be openly gay and nobody cared. Right. So, the other question here is kind of like, where do you guys fit? And I'm not exactly, see, I don't quite understand the, the, I'm a zoo, but also not a zoo dynamic. I'm, I really need to, to, a little bit more information about that to, to really probably answer this correctly. But to me, um, anytime you say you're a zoo ally, like you're perfectly fine to be around my group of people, you know, uh, I wouldn't shun someone who claims to be a zoo ally because they're not a zoo. Uh, I wouldn't like say, Hey, you you can't sit with us. I, I agree. We're not antisocial people. We're not intimidating people. We're not scary people. Like, you know, if, if you're in a Zoe space, we're talking about Zoe stuff. But quite frankly, I personally don't resent the company of a non-Zoo. And actually, in most of my life, I prefer it. Uh, so you don't have to be a Zoo. Uh, on the contrary, I think that it's kind of neat. I think if you feel that you blur the line between Zoo and non-Zoo, I do want to hear from you because I want to try and understand what that means. So... Uh, if that applies to you, dear listeners, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Thanks for that email, RRP. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you. Up next, here's one from Equinots about the do not split principle, Equinots writes. A fascinating facet of the Hong Kong protests is their principle of do not split. To the best of my understanding, it means that groups with a common goal do not condemn the acts of others, since oppressors rarely take such nuance into consideration. E.g., bigots would hate practicing and non-practicing zoo fouls alike. Mm. With this in mind, which groups internally or externally do you think zoo files should not split from? It's a really interesting question. Um... Offhand, the first thing I think is I wonder, uh, I think maybe romantically inclined zoos and those who have more of a sexual aspect to it uh, probably shouldn't split. I think as long as the foundation for that is a respect for animals. And the, and the reason I, I really think about that is um, not all of us, even with humans, uh, really form, you know, um, like romantic inclinations towards our friends, but we might have sexual ones with our friends. But that does not indicate like 
a lack of respect for those people because we like having sex with our friends uh, without being romantically involved. Um, so that's one thing that first, the first thing that comes to mind, people who are um, romantically inclined, not splitting from people who uh, are more sexually inclined uh, without a romantic aspect. What do you think about that? Kind of my limit is uh, that if you are not harming your animal any more than any average pet owner, then I can swing with you and I'm willing to hear what you have to say. Um, with a sense of respect and decency toward animals is kind of a thing all of us, Zooey and non-Zooey alike, ought to embrace as being a necessary part of acceptable behavior. And not even all zoos yet have really embraced that. We're working on that. Um, so I do think that whenever that is observed, whatever their deviance is besides that, I do not want to condemn anything that they necessarily do. Hmm. Uh, so what is what is what is something that comes to mind that, that you know zoophiles might uh, want to split away from but shouldn't? One example is fence hopping behavior. Mm, right. If a zoo is like eighteen to twenty five years old and is still not educated enough to realize that people's property rights are kind of an important part of civilization then up until a certain age i can follow the boys will be boys principle you know i don't know i think um i think that i would say fence hopping i wouldn't want to shun in general because we've we've talked about this a little bit on, on our show before there is a, a lot of our experiences as zoos come from what we might consider to be fence hopping whether that's with uh, a relative's animal or um, that's with uh, mares on a farm that we work on. You know, we can form relationships with other people, even if we don't own them. It's kind of like how, how I think about it. You don't have to own someone to have a relationship with them, sexual or otherwise. So yeah, I, I don't even think that I would put an age limit on it. I would I, I, I would not want to split from people who are accused of, of fence hopping. And Toggle, quite frankly... <laughs> Even though to me, in, in my personal way of thinking, I do think of it as kind of a late adolescent kind of behavior, I'm also going to kind of go with the do not split principle. Even though I see it as kind of a thing to be grown out of, in my personal opinion, mm. I don't think that I want to go to the extent of condemning it, regardless of your age, because you're still part of the Zoe community, even if you are 50 years old and still doing it. I, I think that it's a great principle. I think it's a, a worthy principle to be considered because we got to stay together. We got to stick together uh, uh, in, in order to fight back against this witch hunt. Right. Yeah. And quite frankly, like like they're saying, your oppressors don't actually give a shit about whether you're having sex with an animal that you own or an animal that someone else owns, you know. Uh, um, you're right, you're right. You're, you are so right. 
actually, quite frankly, at Toggle and Equinauts, you kind of open my eyes on this a little bit because you guys are right. The people that are leading this hysterical witch hunting mob, they don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they don't care about the difference. It doesn't matter to them. That that fine nuance is, is not a real thing to them. We're all one group, undifferentiated, and all just one demonic mass. So, um, so yeah, you're right. Uh, there's no use in us splitting from each other whatsoever. It's not going to help our cause. It's not going to cause them to think more of us, to push away other people. It's only going to make us more divided. So mm. it's, it's a great principle. I think we ought to adopt it. Yeah. Well, that was a very thought-provoking question, Equinox. Thank you so much. All right. Up next, we have a bit of an update from the Vulpine Protector. Now, this email actually came before the last episode aired, but I thought it was wonderful to receive anyway, so I'm going to share it. So Volpine writes, Hey, Mr. Rat, I just finished listening to all the episodes, and I'm sad that Fausti died. He was great to listen to, and I'm glad the podcast is still here to listen to. I'm still hoping for what you think, which you found out now, uh, but listening to you two and the others who joined throughout was nice. It helped create a dialogue and got me to ask and answer some questions I had. It helped me gain what I needed to ask a few friends around me what they thought of me and the whole zoo thing. Their acceptance and general lack of caring, as long as I don't hurt anyone, has helped me a lot. The cloud and pain has been lifted somewhat, enough to know that there are people who don't see me as a monster and are willing to help where needed. If it were not for the conversations and enjoyment I got from listening to this wonderful podcast, I don't think I would be as well as I am now. I'm still having problems accepting myself because of learned pain and a shit need for self-destruction at the instant of a broken rule or the fear of hurting someone, but I can get help for those. I think listening to this helped me see that it's not as hard or as bad as I saw it to be. Thank you. This has helped me tremendously. Oh. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah, so it's really interesting. The first one he did, he, he just listened to a couple of episodes and wrote in. Uh, and then after he finished, obviously... Um, there was something transformative and hearing that kind of story always makes doing Zoo in the Now worth doing. Um, I'm glad you were able to find people that you could come out to who accepted you. That's the best. Um, also, I will say he did answer our question about his parents. Uh, I don't feel the need to go into it here because it, it's kind of personal, but a, a lot of the stuff that he's dealing with makes a little bit more sense. What do you think, Sigma? I am... Always so heartened to hear uh, these kinds of words because I personally am one of those zoos that have uh, always hanged out in the furry community and always um, been around a lot of non-zoos that were caring, decent human beings. Uh, and a lot of us zoos, our first impression of what people think of us is often getting confronted with this bizarre marauding anti-zoophile mob on the internet and those are not really normal people those people are fucking bonkers man <laughs> the, the, those people they are really fucking are those people are individuals that have nothing better to do than cause misery for others and invent some kind of moral justification for doing so but Normal people don't behave like that, man. <laughs> uh, and actually, when I hear about zoos talking to their relatively normal friends and relatively normal families about this not entirely normal part of themselves and it turning out okay, maybe not perfect, but okay, it, it just kind of confirms 
what I think about the Antazus, which is that they do not represent mm. normal people or how normal people think. Correct. They're a loud minority. We, we must not get sucked into this illusion that th- this crazy marauding mob represents the unified voice of all non-Zoo society. It, it's, it's not like that. That's not real. Right. That is right. not real. That is an illusion they're trying to get us to believe mm-hmm. that is a lie. Yep. When I hear Zeus talking about this, I feel vindicated in that. I feel justified in believing that. Uh, so thank you for this email. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. You remember uh, he actually came out to his parents as a young man. And while they were generally accepting, he had issues where uh, he had kind of had broken trust with them because... He had relations with the family dog. Oh, yeah. So there was a little bit of, of pain there. But it's nice to see that as an adult now, you found people around you that do accept who you are and, and understand that you're not out to harm anyone. So I'm really happy to hear that you're doing much better, Volpine Protector. So stay zooey. Our last email comes from ZC. ZC writes, Hi, everyone at Zoot. Let me start off by congratulating you on a year of fantastic work. I really enjoyed the show and haven't missed a single episode so far. I'm looking forward to season two with a lot of excitement. I'd also like to take a moment to express how sorry I was to hear about Fausti's passing and extend all the condolences I can to his friends and loved ones. He was a truly remarkable and extraordinary person and he will be missed. Yes, he will. I've been planning to write for a while and I've discarded several drafts over the past few months every time with a new reason as to why I shouldn't go through with it, but now with the season finale, I feel like it's the right time to write. I am struggling, and I don't really know who or where to turn to. I've been active on various suicides for almost a decade now, trying very hard to make friends and pierce the shell of this community I often hear people talking about online. It's likely you may have already seen one of my usernames mentioned somewhere or read one of my forum posts. Even though I'm active, I tend to try to keep a low profile, and have been active under several usernames over the past years, making some effort not to make it blatantly obvious that all are connected to the same identity. My identity. I know how easy it can be to connect the dots and piece together a worryingly detailed and accurate portrait of people who share too much publicly, so I tend to err on the side of caution. Maybe my possibly overly cautious ways are hindering my capability to connect with people. Or maybe I just suck with people, more likely. No matter what I do, no matter how much or how little I open up, no matter how much I try to meet people, post on forums, and participate in chats, share content, and etc., I just can't seem to pull it off. I made one or two good friends overseas, and I'm very thankful for them, but they are all so far away. The distance makes it feel like I can't truly be a part of their lives. I feel like I'm the only zoo in this country, but I know that's not the case. The reality is that there are zoos in this country, but not one of them wants to talk to me, and I'm not sure I understand why. Hmm. It's not that I can't connect with anybody, but zoo forums tend to be a mixed bag, and most people I end up talking to don't exactly have the same definition of what it means to be a zoo as I do. It feels pretty lonely. Sure, I have friends, but they don't know or understand me past the surface, and it is unwise for me to open up to them about my zoophilia. None of the people in my life share my deepest goals, aspirations, and values. I feel isolated while being surrounded by so many people. I'm having some difficulty finding a purpose and a direction in my life, and I feel like filling it with people who can truly understand me and share my goals 
might alleviate that problem somewhat, but years of effort with that objective in mind have been fruitless and I'm discouraged. Anyway, I'm not even sure why I'm writing this. I'm not even sure what I expect. But you miss all those shots you don't take, so that means I need to at least try, right? Thanks again for your awesome work, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. ZC. So first of all, the first thing I want to say is never hesitate to write in, folks. Go ahead and write in. There's nothing wrong with writing in. The worst that happens is that it takes a while for us to get back to you. Um, so please, uh, don't be afraid to write in. We're just regular people, and we love hearing from you. So, Hey, what I've got to say to that email, if I may, is just be patient and stick with it. Keep meeting people. Uh, because recently, only a couple of weeks ago, I've met my uh, first semi-local zoo friend in oh. person. Yeah, we sat, wow. we sat down and we just had some hot chocolate at, uh, at a local uh, coffee latte bar in my, my area and it, it took a few months of me reaching out it might take some people longer for some people it might happen a lot faster mm -hmm. just persevere and uh, stay in the game because once you have made a friend and established that trust it takes a long time for that to go away because likely as not if that person does reach out to you and wants to meet you in person that person is just as desperate as you to actually mm. make that human in-person connection now i do see it i see a potential problem here and yeah. um you're talking about how you want people who can truly understand you and share your goals and your aspirations but you're also cautious about opening up to people online so it's an understandable thing that you don't want to get whatever it is that people do online but if you can't trust anyone with any part of yourself you can't expect to have any more than a shallow relationship with them because they don't know they can't know who you are at some point you do have to take a chance on someone and you have to be careful obviously you don't want to take a chance without calculating the risks but if you can trust someone with who you are that is the first step towards a relationship you have to have that trust you can start from a distance feel each other out get to know each other and then once you've established trust, then you can delve deeper. You know, these are my goals and aspirations. This is who I am. You know, I think a lot of us um, don't know a lot of people in our exact local area. Like, the, I would never have known that Fausti was like an hour away in my life. I would never, have never thought that he was even there. <laughs> so, you know, people are there, um, but people don't talk about zoo stuff very often so finding local people can be difficult but it doesn't mean it's impossible i think i hear that you're trying really hard it seems like you're out there but there's only two reasons i can see why you might be having trouble one is that you're a total asshole and two you have a hard time opening up with people and i'm gonna err on the side of the ladder just by the way this 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 is written um I don't get that asshole vibe. I don't either. Anyone yeah. who is who is introspective enough to worry that they might be unlikable is usually introspective enough to not be a total mm -hmm. asshole. Yeah. Not always, but, you know. So I don't think it's that. I think it's probably that you have trouble opening up to people and making real connections. And so that's also why you have friends who only know you on the surface is because that's all they ever get to see of you. You know? Yeah. 
Hey, and if Toggle, if I may add one more insight, may I Toggle? Of course. No, fuck uh, that. You can't say anything else in this show ever. <laughs> How dare you? Oh, no. How dare you come and oh, no. host this show and speak out of turn? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, toggle, thank you. Uh, uh, nuzzle, nuzzle. Oh, my uh, God. Kisses uh, Toggle's cheek. <laughs> You're such a nice friend. I am going to say this, that one thing that you have got to sit down and read is Murphy's Laws of Combat, because on every version of Murphy's Laws of Combat, there's a handful of different versions, uh, most of them uh, from Patton, uh, General Patton from World War II. <laughs> one rule that is always on there, anything you do can get you killed, including nothing. Now we're talking about literally mm. in war. Uh, staying isolated and not really knowing who your real friends are is not really a safe situation because right. because if ever your secret were to break out you would not know whom it would be okay to ask for help whom you could turn to you would not know who's going to throw you under the bus and who is not uh, so quite frankly taking some modest risks to try to at least find a handful of people in your life that you do feel safe reaching out to really puts you in a much safer situation than you are if you have nobody at all that you feel sure about. So, mm -hmm. so there has to be a kind of a balance between taking too much risk and uh, taking a much bigger risk by not taking the small ones you need to put yourself in a safer situation. Right. Um, but you can always reach out to us on Telegram. I'm at ToggleRat. Um, so feel free to say hi. Thanks for reaching out, CC. We wish you luck finally connecting with the community. Well, you know, all these emails actually get me thinking about today's topic, the path forward. Indeed they do. Stay tuned, Zoe listeners, for our discussion. Coming up, but first, here's a word from our sponsors. This week's podcast is sponsored by Julius Caesar, as performed by three dogs, a horse, a pig, two goats, and a business of ferrets. This special production of Shakespeare's Classic is being held on the Ides of March 2021, but tickets are inexplicably on sale now. And also by Donkey Shorts, an equine guide to learning the German language. Learn your way around the stables with this unique perspective on Deutschland. And finally, by Gay Rats. Where would we be without Gay Rats? Celebrate Gay Rats today. It's about time we got some recognition, right, Akamaru? Alright, uh, could you just, uh, face the camera here? Alright, thanks. Make sure you get my good side. Uh, sure. Okay, go ahead and state your name. The name's Inazuka Kiba, one of the greatest heroes of the last great ninja war, and this is my partner, Akamaru. Alright, so this project is to highlight all the ninja clans in Konoha, and you were the first Inazuka who jumped in front of the camera. Well, naturally. I fought right alongside Naruto in the last great war, you know. Everyone remembers Naruto, but me and Akamaru- Yeah, so I, I want to focus less on that battle and more on what makes the Inazuka unique as a ninja clan. Oh, well, hmm. What do you think, Akamaru? <coughs> yeah, you're right. What makes us unique on the battlefield is our perfect sync with one another. Me and Akamaru are practically of one mind. We can finish each other's- <coughs> Exactly! 
So how exactly is that different from any ninja team? What makes your bond different from, say, Kakashi and his Ninken? Don't insult us with that comparison. Look, Kakashi's ninja dogs are... <laughs> great, I guess. But the bond between Akamaru and me is way stronger. We've been together since we were young. We're practically soulmates. Uh, soulmates? Yeah. I can't imagine life without my partner. I'd do anything to protect him. And I know he feels the same. Would you say that feeling characterizes your clan's relationships with dogs? Definitely. We communicate on a whole different level. He says more to me in one look than I can say to you in a hundred words. When we're in the heat of battle, we're entirely of one mind. Sure, ninja teams always have to be in sync, but me and Akamaro are like one ninja split into two. And that's the way it is with my whole family. And how do you come to be so closely bonded with your companions? Well, with me and Akamaru, we started working together when we were both pups. When you're doing ninja training, forming strong bonds is always par for the course. But me and Akamaru, we did everything together. You start to breathe in time with one another. You have the same experiences. And you know, as we grew up together, that bond turns from friendship to love. We went through the throes of puberty together, and boy, was that a wild time. Are you saying... Let's just say we were one in more than one way. That's a really big dog. Ha! You'd be surprised what your body can do when you concentrate your chakra in the right places. Chakra control, as it turns out, can really enhance your sex life. You're a ninja, right? Give it a try next time. <coughs> well, uh, how did your teammates feel about your, uh, uh, consummated bond? Well, you don't just talk about that stuff when you're young, right? Hinata would have turned beet red. And Shino, well, he's Shino. Ugh. I can imagine his response. I had a feeling this may be the case. And the reason is because my beetles... Ah, besides, I was the leader of the team, right? So naturally, they saw the results and understood that our bond made us the strongest members of Team 8. So they looked up to me, and that's what mattered. You were the leader. Well, naturally. Hmm. What? So, you're more open about this sexual bond now as an adult? Well, yeah, when it matters. I think it's part of what sets us apart as a team. I'm proud of it. But I'm a man of discretion. After all, I don't want to hear about Hinata and Ramen Boy getting busy, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, uh, is, is this unique to you, or is that part of the Inazuka Nindo? That's a good way to think of it. Our ninja way is to form the strongest bonds possible with our partners, because our strength is only as great as our bond. I think it's fair to say that sex is a part of strengthening that bond. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not looking for a third, ladies. No one is going to give you a wilder time than an Inazuka. Right, Akamaru? All right, I think that's about where we stop. Really? Don't you want a demonstration? Uh, we're not shooting a porno. Uh, no, I, I mean of our ninjutsu. Welcome back, Zoos. We have Sigma here with us, joining us again, and we are going to have a discussion about today's topic, which is the path forward. Thank you again for joining me today, Sigma. Uh, uh, thank you, Toggle, for having me on. Absolutely. Now, they are uh, someone you may have seen around Zooville if you have been browsing the site at all in the past several months. It's very funny. Uh, someone on Twitter 
when we were uh, I, I posted one of the things you posted in our chat as we were preparing for this discussion someone's like I know who that is and I was like yeah you can tell just by the way they write uh, you have very, uh, a very specific prosody that, that really defines uh, your uh, uh, conveying of information and it's, uh, it's actually very fascinating uh, and very positive and I, I really appreciate it uh, thank you Taco uh, there was a place you wanted to start, is that right? Uh, yes, actually. Quite frankly, you and Fosty, when I first started listening to your show, really changed the direction for me because hmm. in the past, I have dealt with my feelings about being persecuted by arguing with people and shouting at them, and I would just get out of control with my temper Mm. I would just shoot myself very badly in the foot. And mm -hmm. I just ended up pissing off people that otherwise would not have hated me. Mm. And uh, I uh, took people that were just unpleasant and turned them into devoted enemies when mm. I did not have to. And you guys changed that for me. I, I, I started adopting how you guys do things and how I talk about this. And I started almost immediately getting better results. Um, wow. I, I was uh, more able to focus on people that were friendly toward me. And mm -hmm. I was able to diffuse uh, conflicts rather than escalate them. Mm -hmm. you, you guys have a much better way. I, I have been following it. I've, well. I've been learning from it. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. I will say definitely, uh, Fauci is one of the most uh, confrontational people, uh, as his Twitter feed will no doubt show. Um, he loved arguing and, and stuff like that. But when we started doing the podcast, we really started to think about positive narratives and how to move forward in a positive direction. And I think from there, we really discovered that there was a nasty part of us, you know, that really wanted to humiliate and uh, make people look like idiots. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it, it gets down to trolling them because you realize that you, you can push their buttons. Um, but not only is that negative, uh, it's also a lot of energy spent uh, where you don't really need to spend it and it takes away from where you could be nurturing more positive things. Uh, like you said, uh, instead of arguing with people that vehemently hate you and stuff like that, you can focus your energy on people who are um, friendly towards you. You can focus your energy on people who are who are um, more open to actually having a dialogue versus people who just want to say, fuck you, you should die, or whatever they say on the YouTube comment section that you should never read. So... <laughs> I am very glad that you and Fosti went in that direction. And mm. I think that we should think about this outlook of being zoo positive, mm -hmm. starting to define our new direction where we are no longer being a part of the problem on the entire internet, but being a part of the solution on the entire internet. Mm. Uh, uh, because a part of the problem is people just raging at each other mm -hmm. and escalating things. And that yeah. has um, made us a part of a more widespread problem in our society where we have become bitterly divisive and hateful toward each other. Mm -hmm. And we really don't have to. Uh, us zoos really have a duty towards society, which we owe more to than I think that 
we're quite ready to acknowledge yet.、Mm. And we really owe to society to try to do a better service than to just go on the internet and rage at people and contribute <laughs> to the bitterness and negativity、uh, that is out there. Well, the other thing that we try to do with this podcast is show ourselves as animal rights activists, as people who are devoted to animals, as people who、uh, have moral integrity.、Uh, and starting from that point instead of、uh, starting from the defensive point.、Uh, as for kind of the future of the Zooey movement, I think that a large part of moving forward is winning over the Zooey community itself、mm. on. The rest of the human race. I、yeah. think that we we have to make our case to, to Zeus that really this is worth it. It is uh, it, it is、mm. worth it to try to talk to these people. These are good people. These are、uh, these are often reasonable people that、mm-hmm. can support us. We can talk to our families, and our and our families are are, are great people. They're not just going to make us afraid、uh, mm. all the time. I mean, maybe sometimes, but if you really think your families are going to be that way, then maybe you already know more. More than you're letting yourself realize, you know, about your families, and it's time to reconsider、uh, staying in that situation.、Uh, there's、uh, definitely a prevalent misanthropy among zoos、uh, that you can see online, especially in the forums. A lot of times, see the the thing about misanthropy is there's always this kind of sense of self-loathing underneath it, and I think that. Part of what what it is 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 believing in humanity, and that allows us to believe in ourselves as being a part of humanity. You know, and many zoos that have not really been active in the gay community can get angry when you talk about the similarity between our situation and that of the LGBT community. But、mm-hmm. that is just one example. Really, you could、uh, start talking about the、uh, African. Can American community and、mm-hmm. the fact that a large part of the civil rights struggle was fighting against segregation, and how is the fight against segregation different from trying to get LGBT to come out of the closet? And it isn't. It is the same thing. Well, I, think、uh, there, I think you could argue for some differences there.、Um, I think. I think if you're going to say they're the same thing, you you might want to qualify that. Well, what I mean is. That these civil rights struggles, whether uh, uh, that of、uh, African American civil rights or LGBT civil rights, have one thing in common: that it's about wanting to be a part of the human race and not separated from、right. the rest of the human race. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it is really in both of those cases the same struggle, and、uh, and many of us Sues、uh, feel a lot the same way, and the path forward is in. Many instances going to be very similar. Yeah, I can see that, and I think you know there is something touchy. I, I think each movement doesn't want to be compared to the next movement that comes after it. So there was a lot. Of, there's a lot of、um, people who were a part of the African American civil rights movements that distanced themselves significantly from gay rights movement. But I think historically, you'll find that gay activists in the beginning were largely influenced by. African American activism. Yes, and if you don't believe me, sit down and read the transcript of an interview, "Revolt of the Homosexual," that was published in the Mattachine Review. 
It was originally published in a local newspaper in New York City, uh, mm -hmm. but then it was also published in the Manichean Review. It was this beautiful interview between a gay man and a straight man, and they covered so much ground. Did you read it, Toggle? Uh, I have not gotten to yet. I know, I believe Love Cat did, and I think Canis may have. But I was not able to oh, yet. So, let's, oh, for so goodness sakes, sit for down me, and read it. As, yeah. As if I'm the audience, tell me a little bit more about it. Well, this was the transcript of an interview that was had in the 1950s, the 1950s, uh, in New York between a straight guy and a gay guy. The straight guy was asking the kinds of questions that you would expect a straight guy to ask and to talk about um, mm. if he knows nothing about gay people except for these weird drag queens that are walking the street and acting like uh, they're just angry all the time. Uh, <laughs> what? As, well, if you, you, you have to read it for yourself, but, uh, but this straight guy is obviously a very decent human being, but because mm -hmm. this person has never met a, a gay person in mm. a fair context where he's getting a fair representation of what they're like. Mm -hmm. He actually starts out with an open mind, but just does not know anything except the bizarre things that bubble up at the surface because all the gay people are in hiding. Mm. And this gay guy starts explaining to this guy not only the fact that not all gay people are like that, but the fact that most straight people don't know anything about gay people is that, unfortunately, the gay community has decided that they're going to be secretive with their lives, mm. which is really costing them more than they really understand. It is separating mm -hmm. them from their humanity. And this gay guy started talking about the fact that Maybe the reason why the African-American community at the time was doing better than the gay community was that the African-American community truly wanted to rejoin the rest of human society and to fit in and to belong. Mm. And he saw that the gay community was not really doing that. I'm sure that a lot of gay people at the time that read that interview might have gotten angry over that because they might not have seen it as a valid comparison. And I see that also right. in the Zoe community. And yet, when we talk about gay people coming out of the closet, I see that as very similar to the fight against segregation in the African-American community. Because it's about uh, becoming a part of society as opposed to, you know, living on the fringes in secret, not, you know, quote unquote existing. Now, I, you know, I kind of want to be careful about you know, shaming the other things that, that people are into, like, you know, gay people and drag queens. Like, I don't want to, like, say that they're, like, invalid or, like, they're a bad representation of gay people. And in that same way, maybe, I wonder if we have any of those kinds of eccentric type of things with zoos. So I, I do worry about the backlash of talking about trying to integrate with society because there is this 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 other side of the coin where okay we found this mainstream acceptance uh, and now we have to keep it by shunning all the things that make us weird like our like shunning overt sexuality it's happened also in the furry fandom where you know yif is a very first of all a very zooey but also a very integral part of the furry fandom with sexuality and queerness and a lot of people want to wash that away and kind of show us as like, oh, we're not all like that. 
Um, but there's actually nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Well, that is one of the trade-offs when you start coming out in society, you do become more self-conscious. And there is a trade-off because when you do know that you are in the public eye, you feel more embarrassed that other people that have the same identity do things that you do not always feel are dignifying to you uh, or really represent you. And that is an actual fact. But think about the positive side of that. Think about the, uh, the side of that in the Zoe community. Uh, you know, the um, the Zeta Varane mm-hmm. people, they are an animal rights group, actually. And mm-hmm. the fact is that the Zoe community does have dysfunctions. The Zoe community does have people in it that can become misguided because they are not really thinking of themselves as having to fit in with society and we do need Mm. to have those conversations we do need to get people in the Zoe community to start thinking about whether their behavior is just different or whether just maybe in some specific cases it might actually be wrong such as forcing yourself on an animal or mm-hmm. or otherwise not honoring the dignity of that animal right, right, to right, right. what you just said maybe Uh, There is a negative side where people's self-consciousness causes them to throw other minorities within uh, within their minority under the bus. And that's that's not a great thing. I agree. But but the good thing is that there are some things going on in our community that we do need to start talking about. And I think. Mm that getting zoos to try being more open will help promote more dialogue and conversation and i think reduce the level of inbreeding in our community inbreeding? Uh, well yeah I, honestly i i think of it and i'm not sure if if it's really a, a real term in sociology but i think of it i think of it as cultural inbreeding i think that when a community is segregated from the rest of society mm-hmm. you can get the same problems culturally that you get genetically mm. out of founders effect when people that are closely closely related and marrying first cousins start developing mutations that would otherwise never appear because of these recessive alleles showing up in uh, their phenotypes and it causes them to become very sick it causes them to uh, to come out looking very strange or having a sixth finger on one hand I believe that that can happen culturally when a community has become so isolated from the rest of society that things that maybe actually are wrong start seeming acceptable because they do not believe that they can ever fit in with the Mm. greater context of the rest of society. Do you see where I'm coming from there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So we might normalize certain things that shouldn't be normalized because we don't have to hold ourselves to the standards of of the rest of society. Yes, I think that that is one reason why we that want to change things ought to see ourselves as on the side of animal rights groups that are trying Mm -hmm. to fight against uh, animal abuse. If there is a non-zoo listening to this right now that is kind of shocked by this, we are on the same side, people. We are on the same side. Those of us that want to get this uh, part of ourselves above board and out in the open, 
we are on the same side. We want to live with more honor. We want to live with a greater sense that we should try to come as close as we can to fitting in with the norms of the rest of society. Mm. How are we not on the same side? I see it as us fighting amongst ourselves, quite mm. frankly. I see us. I see us as uh, different people that are passionate about animal rights that are fighting amongst themselves when they don't really have to. Right. Well, I think that that is why I was so excited when I started thinking about how different your and Fossey's approach was to tackling this conversation, because we do not need to be at odds with non-zoos. We do not need to feel like it's all about these nasty squabbles and trolling back and forth at each other. It, it should not be that way. That's not the right way to do things. Tempting though it may be, as Fausti would have confessed. Oh yeah. Very tempting. And you know, like I said uh, in a previous episode uh, last season towards the end, when I first met Fausti, it was like, hey, um, you're kind of being an asshole. And he was like, yeah, I guess that's right. And I think maybe there was a place and a time for that at some point. But at this point, I think we realize that the the old paradigm doesn't work and it's time to try something different. And I think uh, the other thing is that we are in the public consciousness now uh, in a greater way than we were before. It's basically it's like our time. It's time. It's our time. This is this is the chance. This is the moment. This is when we should um, do or die, jump up and do something We're we're at that crux. As, a, as cultures around the world. And I think the other thing is that our existence flies in the face of a lot of capitalist interests, if you will, uh, because we challenge some of the norms of society that are cruel and abusive, uh, and by our very existence, fly in the face of anything that allows that sort of thing to happen. Uh, and so, you know, while we're seeking to integrate into society, we're also seeking to better society as, as a group of people. And I think realizing the contributions we can give to society, that we are actually valuable members of society, is is something that's important for Zeus to, to start realizing, is that what we have to offer is worth uh, society investing in. As we covered a little bit earlier in this conversation, I do think that that is going to have to start with us making the case to our fellow Zeus that society is worth it. Right. And actually, quite frankly, Toggle, I think I think that that is why I got so excited about uh, your "Tis the Season" episode when I right. when when I heard uh, people's. Uh, family members and friends coming on the air and, and, and supporting them and, and talking to them. I, I like almost cried because it just came home to me. I already knew it. I already knew it, but then it just came home to me. It hit me really hard that they, right. these are good people. These people are worth it. It is worth the awkwardness of coming out to try to talk to them. It is, it is, it's worth everything. These people are worth it. These are good people. These are great people. Right. I, I think that if we can just get zoos to recognize that, I think that if content like that is what is going to make the case to our fellow zoos, that this mm. is something that is worth our while to do. Right. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't have the kind of loving, supportive families. I know uh, my husband did not come from a loving and supporting family. Um, you know, they shunned him for being gay. So 
I mean, thinking about it that way, you know, not everyone has that support. But think about how not having that support has affected those people. And usually, a lot of times, like with my husband, you find people who do support you. And you surround yourself with those people because you need it. You need support from others around you. So even with that sort of traumatic sort of reality about coming out as a gay person, it was still so important to do because by going through the pain of that now, we make it easier for people to do it in the future. And that takes a little bit of uh, philanthropic thought. It takes a little bit of, you know, believing in people. It takes a little bit of altruism, which um, not everyone is able to afford. But the price of not doing it is seen in, in a lot of what happened with gays in the early 20th century, where uh, you've got PSAs warning children to beware of the homosexual because he's a predator. Uh, you've got um, the spread of AIDS at just right after the, the, the rights movement started. And that there's, a, there's like two folds of how that can happen. And part of it is our culture of promiscuity, which is not bad in and of itself, except when it exists only because we're not allowed to talk about it. Um, so promiscuity itself is not bad because if you're able to talk about it, then you can make safe decisions. You can talk to your all your partners about who you're playing with. You can protect yourself. Uh, you can talk to your doctor about problems that you're having. Um, but if you're on the down low, you can't tell anyone what you're doing. You can't share information with your partners. You're not expected to have a relationship with people. And in that situation, that's when the promiscuity becomes an issue. Uh, and that then leads to the AIDS crisis. Um, and then the laws in the 80s that were trying to suppress gays also. Uh, and perhaps if we had gotten started a little earlier in time uh, with the idea of coming out, we may not have had those kinds of issues. All of those problems that are related to people being underground can be resolved by people just being more prepared to come out. And this also applies to the Zoe community. If you if you don't believe me, uh, what is what is that uh, what is that film uh, with Mr. Hands? What was the name of that film again? Oh, um, uh, Zoo. I think it was just called Zoo or something like that. I don't remember. That 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 tragedy that that was shown in that film, I believe, really helps demonstrate how uh, not being above board endangers us and endangers our animals and well, remember also that a lot of the stuff in the movie is horseshit um, um really so yeah um, really yeah it's mostly horseshit really? um I did, I did not know that mm-hmm uh Doug actually knew the people involved. You know, that story doesn't get told. And that's the problem. Exactly right there. So, you, so you, I think you were trying to illustrate something else. But because we're not here to tell our own narratives, bullshit is published as our narrative. Oh, my goodness. You, you are truly correct. And that is a part of what led to what happened uh, leading up uh, to the 1950s. And, you know, as much as we talk about uh, the need to start coming out, we uh, didn't the Zoe community have an attempt to start coming out um, in the 1980s and the 1990s? And it didn't go so well, did it? You know, I think it was still on the down low. But, you know, I would, I, would, I would rather have someone who has a more historical perspective than me actually answer this question. But my understanding is that it was 
still kind of something you don't you don't really talk about in polite company, but it's not something you had to worry about being legally persecuted for. Well, the reason why I bring that up is, have you read about the uh, Society for Human Rights that was founded by Henry Gerber in the 1920s? Did I tell you about that yet? Yes, he did tell me about that one, yes. So, just for our readers, essentially, uh, there were homosexual rights organizations. I believe this one was in the 30s? And 1920s, actually. 1920s. So, in the 20s, they first started trying to organize as homosexuals. Um, and they had a lot of the same problems that the zoo community has right now. Betrayal. Mm-hmm. People outing each other. Ba- basically, a lot of societal backlash as people were... We're doing that, and not every coming out was a successful attempt. And eventually, you will probably tell the story a little better than me, but eventually, basically, it it forced gay people back underground, deeper underground, for a very long time. Yes, between those early attempts blowing up in the gay community's faces and the 1950s, when the Mattachine Society was founded, uh, the gay community went uh, further underground than they had ever been in history because they had ne- they had ne- they had never ever ever in history been as far deep underground uh, as uh, as they were during that time period because even prior to the 1920s when they started to organize and uh, and started to uh, try forming an organization to come, even prior to that uh, you had people in British society like Oscar Wilde that were flaming homosexuals and they, they were very demonstrative in public they uh, they knew that it was illegal for them to be that way they knew they could go to jail but they were not really all that scared there was not really a gigantic witch, witch hunt going on uh, what happened to Oscar Wilde Oscar Wilde brought what happened to him upon himself because he slept with a duke's son. Um, uh, well, I mean, the other thing about Oscar Wilde is that he was Irish. Yeah. So there was also some racism there. Uh, oh, um, really? Yeah. Yeah, there was some racism there. And also, he very, very often loved to uh, spit in the face of people that were on his bad side in his writing. So, yes, he did. To some extent, he did bring it on himself, but the fact that he was gay plus the fact that he liked to speak to power plus the fact that he was irish all kind of conspired against him there at the end nevertheless even prior to the 1920s uh, the gay community had never been completely suppressed underground uh, but what i what i perceive what i truly and genuinely perceive is that between the 1920s and the 1950s uh, uh, they went deeper underground than they had ever been before precisely because of the series of betrayals and this gigantic backlash that resulted from from that uh, from that early attempt to organize uh, in the 1920s and I think that people in the Zoe community ought to see this as kind of ringing a couple of bells because right. uh, because when you do try to do something and it just blows up in your face that does make you want to give up because it hurts it, right. it, it, it hurts a lot and you can't really be blamed for wanting to lie low for a while that cannot right. last forever it, you cannot you cannot stay suffering like that forever it's not healthy it's certainly certainly not over generations and you know i think in in our perspective today we kind of a lot of younger people especially and, and people who have grown up where gay is accepted you may forget that you know this time existed and then you may also be thinking oh but what about places like africa and stuff like that um a lot of those places were a lot more liberal about these things until 
evangelical Christians came over from the U.S., uh, even in you know places like Saudi Arabia um, and uh, other places in the Middle East were a lot less radicalized before U.S. In- intervention. Uh, in the 70s, Middle East was um, women had jobs, women uh, wore pants. It was uh, a different place. And those regimes haven't always been in place. So when you try to think of this in a historical perspective, remember around the world that a lot of what we know today about the rest of the world has only happened in the last 60 to 70 years. You are correct. And uh, I think that we have kind of fooled ourselves by letting ourselves believe that uh, social progress is just one long march forward and upward when it's really not. We, we have ups and we have downs. We have uh, uh, we have golden ages. We have dark ages. And we do have we we are still having witch hunts to this day. Like what's going on right now? We're, I, mean, I mean, society uh, for, for all of the many great things there are about the human race the human race also can have this terrible propensity for getting stirred up into witch hunts Uh, (laughs) (laughs) if you can other someone enough to cause fear then you can make people do things that are atrocious unfortunately yes and that's what our opponents do they other us um you know they define us and you know if you look at how the u.s humane society looks at it it is about a reframing. Like they, they're like, we need to reframe this as animal sex abuse. Um, and what you need to understand is that that didn't exist before. Um, they reframed it that way in trying to w- tackle what they perceived as a problem due to uh, Randy Pepe, and, and we're not going to get into that right now. Um, oh yeah, there's, uh, yeah. There's a big history behind why why they're doing that. But understand that what they have to do is create a monster and make you afraid of the, that monster. And if you remember from the Zeta Farine episode, yeah. some of the stuff that they would talk about, you know, like 500,000 uh, animals being killed a year and things like that, they have a tactic of how to create a monster so that they can get their goals met. That is not unique to those animal rights organizations. When you have trouble where you want to demonize a group that is not easily as easily demonized, you have to create a demon. And so that that's kind of what we face right now, is, is that creation of a demon, and then the mob mentality that follows that creation. And what they've also cultivated in the past 20 years is a, um, a common sense narrative. Now that took a couple of decades to sink, um, but they have successfully implanted a common sense narrative about sex with animals and consent. And that didn't exist before. It exists now. And it's part of uh, that campaign of of redefining what it is to be a zoophile. Yeah, and it is one thing that has really helped drive us to shooting our own selves in the foot. Because Mm. when people dehumanize you and demonize you, that leads to, a lot of times, acting like a demon. And that just Mm. feeds into it. Right. We cannot uh, sustainably survive unless we break that spell and break ourselves out of this mindset where we're just feeding this mutual demonization 
at, mm. between ourselves and them and making it about an us and them. As when what we really ought to do is start trying to wake some of these animal rights crusaders up to the fact that there are a lot of us that are really on the same side and this is not a matter of good versus evil this is a matter of good people that are childishly fighting amongst themselves mm. and there's nothing really noble about that and right. and it is time for us to move past that so in the spirit of that what are some things you've been thinking about as far as moving forward from here how do we achieve those goals I already see uh, some of those goals starting to happen as a consequence of the kinds of people that the Zoeer Than Thou podcast has mm. attracted. For example, we have our, our we have our friends from Zeta Verein in Germany getting great interviews with mainstream journalists. Mm -hmm. That is one project that I think has an immense value. And mm -hmm. we are starting to get more coordinated with them uh, without getting in each other's business and each other's way, but coordinating with them so we have a general idea of what's going on. And now our friend Steve, Steve <laughs> has begun to launch a stickering campaign. You know, that's it's interesting because that stickering campaign tackles it from an entirely different way a more punk rock a more you know a queer punk sort of way yeah because it's basically graffiti tagging but with eggshell stickers and that is also valid i think the other thing is that we, we forget that there are multiple ways to go about pushing forward you know like the gay movement wasn't just you know hi we're just like you uh it was also hey fuck you we're here we're queer and we're going to march in the street naked, uh, you know? <laughs> well, well, actually, that was just going back to we're just like you because we're disgusting just like you. <laughs> okay. It's not disgusting. Um, Nothing so disgusting about being naked. You are absolutely correct. But, but you, know, straight, you know, straight people are not all prudish types of people. You know, if you're going before all of them uh, dressed in a suit, a lot of them don't really like that. Um, so, right. And, and, they, and they see that as being intimidating, quite frankly. Um, so, uh, when being a little bit more earthy, when, when being, when showing that you have that punk rock side of you, uh, if you are genuinely like that, I'm not, um, <laughs> then that gives you a chance to connect with a completely different group of people. Uh, I could I could never do that. I, this is beyond my powers because I am not that. Uh, and I would mm -hmm. be deeply inauthentic if I tried to be that. I should be what I'm best at being. Right. You should be you. And that's part of it is being being yourself. And, you know, part of being gay is is overt sexuality. It's, it's it is a sexuality. That's what pride is, is a celebration of sexuality. And, you know, for zoos, we we have this podcast that we do that is overtly sexual. There may become a time where we're so mainstream that people are like, you know, zooier than now is fucking gross. I'm sick of their shit. I wish that they would stop being so overtly sexual so that we don't look so bad. <laughs> <laughs> But that's part of it, you know, part of it is 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 being okay with being sexual. It's okay to be gay, it's okay to be a zoo, and part of being those things is 
sexuality. You are correct. In this talking about moving forward, I don't think that we have to look really all that far because these new projects that have uh, that have gotten launched over the past couple of years are the way forward. That that is what we're doing going forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is this is not something vague or theoretical or far away. Is this something that we are doing? We're creating this with our hands. We are mm. uh, we are investing uh, our own resources in this. So right. when we talk about the way forward, I think that the subject matter to start with is what we are already doing going forward, because mm. uh, that's where it's happening. That is where the rubber hits the road. Right. So what do you think that Zuyer the Now should do going forward? Quite frankly, the question that you asked to the rest of us that are a part of this uh, show was a great one when you asked us what episodes from last year really worked for us. That was a great question because my opinion is that maybe going forward, Zoeer Than Thou ought to plan on having a show with family interviews every year and start planning it if possible 18 months in advance oh wow you were you were asking way too much for us 18 months in advance Um, (laughs) i mean if possible but but i think a great thing to do would would be if you know that that is successful if you know that that is uh, getting a lot of thumbs ups on your uh, different accounts where you broadcast the podcast mm-hmm. then then just keep plugging away at what is already successful right. you have proved that it's a great format people like it the non-zoos like it and it, it is not attracting as many people that are here just to hate on us mm. which what you did when you asked that question is that at the end of the project you asked us to review what has been done over the past season and that is an important part of uh, moving forward to the next stage of a project well i'm gonna be honest with you the reason why i asked is because i'm putting together a, an essential section so that people who are like too long didn't read what did i miss can just go skip to certain episodes. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, definitely my way of thinking is to, for each of these different shows that we are, um, that we already know is uh, going to be a part of the show, let's create a mindset where we are always working on those things and try to get people that are really great at researching for those things, who specialize in those things, uh, Mm. that can uh, really bring together a great show that can be put on the air. Yeah. You had mentioned something about some sort of like junior program. Uh, Yes, I actually did. I, we have been talking about, about people, I think that you've read some uh, some emails on the show um, mm-hmm. uh, from out of the mailbag where people have uh, come out to their families mm-hmm. and to their friends. And what I think would be a great idea would be to start trying to contact those people to try to tutor them on how to do an interview, a family interview, and, and, and how to put it together, how to approach their friends and families about whether they would be willing to be interviewed on the air and make that a part of training them into this form of activism. Coming out and doing podcasts? Not only that, but actually realizing that the right way to try to change things is not to rant and swear at people 
on toxic social media. Mm. But the right way is to actually broadcast your best self, as you guys did with those family interviews. And I think that by getting their feet wet, doing that, doing it that way, that could turn into a habit in how they do everything. And some of them, as they grow older, might create their own initiatives. Yeah, I hope so. So I'm not sure whether it's called a junior program or a mentorship program. Mentorship probably makes more sense. Mentorship you know, program, yes. I will say, you know, if, if anyone else is, is interested in doing a podcast, one thing that we have always wanted to do is help people get started with that because it's actually fairly easy. Um, it's not too, too difficult depending on the format that you try to do. If you do it like us... Um, it can be a, a lot of work, but if you want to do Zooey interviews like with um, Steve, uh, or if you want to just talk yourself, where you're, you're just kind of doing an essay format, you know those kinds of things can be a little bit easier. You know, if you just want to get a get together a group of friends playing Zooey D and D, you know that's a ton of fun. Everyone's involved and in having fun and being Zooey, and that's just a normal part of it's like doing gay D&D, you know? Uh, so there's there's like 20,000 different ways you can tackle that, uh, a podcast project. Uh, and if you need help getting started and you want to do it, let us know. We'll definitely help you. Yeah, un- unfortunately, I... Uh, I don't mean you specifically. <laughs> I have a defect in my character is that I can be so much of a bookworm that uh, people say, that's great, so what do you do for fun? And I'm like, that is what I do for fun. Like, let me recite the first uh, ten lines of the Iliad by Homer in Greek. <laughs> like, okay, oh, <laughs> do, you, do you want me to? No, you don't. Because that's like hearing somebody uh, talking for hours about uh, about their favorite obscure classic video game that nobody else talks about. Eventually, you just get bored with it. Um, so <laughs> I, I, there's no reason for you to be interested in it unless that's the subgenre that actually appeals to you. But you got to remember, like, people do have esoteric interests, and it's okay to bring esoteric interests to podcasts because of how the media work. The medium of podcasts is decentralized. Uh, It can be distributed anywhere, all over the internet. It can even be distributed from yourself on your own source. You can do whatever you want with the medium and use it basically however you want. And so if that's talking for four hours about the intricacies of Sonic the Hedgehog, you can do that. And someone's going to listen to it because someone's interested. And if you have weird esoteric interests, there's no reason not to have a podcast if you want to do that. Yeah, maybe you're right about that, Tonkle. So maybe it would not be such a bad idea if maybe I s- tried to start my own conversation about maybe Diogenes of Sinop. My opinion is that Diogenes of Sinop might have been uh, the zooiest philosopher of them all. I mean... <laughs> I- That'd be cool, yeah. If you wanted to do a zoo philosophy podcast, someone's going to listen to that. I will tell you right now, zoo friends... People are hungry for zoo content, and we can't keep up. And if you, you know, saturate the market like we used to pretend was actually happening, people will come, and people want the content, and people want to to learn, they want to hear zooey perspectives, they want to hear themselves represented, they want to know our culture, they want a culture and identity to belong to. And there, are, there's billions of different ways to do this. And part you could do a philosophy podcast about that specific person for ten episodes just that one person and 
someone would find it fascinating because it probably is incredibly fascinating. The trick is to be entertaining. That's the hard part. <laughs> uh, yeah, being entertaining is uh, definitely, uh, I think, a learned skill and something uh, that definitely has to be polished, that has to uh, be taught uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, I will tell you, it's easier with more than one person. Uh, one person doing it has to have a lot of skill on them themselves. Two people doing it can have a conversation, and conversations are always fun to listen to. I think you're right. That's my tip. That's my uh, teaching you <laughs> how to be entertaining. Ta talk with someone. I do have a couple of friends that are kind of uh, a little bit in the closet, so maybe I could try to hook them up with some great voice distortion software, and uh, and maybe they would be a little bit more willing to go on a show with me, uh, and uh, we could talk about something that we do have in common. So... Uh, there are voice distortion options. Uh, I found when we tried to think about them for So You're in the Now, it's very difficult to find high quality stuff uh, that's not like $100. Um, so that may be prohibitive. However, comma, it does exist if you have it in the budget. Uh, what we, you know, one thing we wanted to try to do a long time ago, this is obviously not going to happen because this re really requires Fausti, is like create an online system where people could do that. Um, that was high quality. Uh, there, these systems exist, but they will distort your voice a little bit. But we don't really have the technology. <laughs> The technology for that sort of thing. We don't know how to make it happen. But yeah, it does exist out there. It just costs a little bit of money. And you got to be careful what you buy. Make sure whatever you get actually works before you buy it. Yeah, definitely got to do your research there. Uh, yeah, I would love to do some sort of mentorship. Um, I think that might also be something that's really good for Zeta Farhein. Uh, is to start a, a kind of mentorship uh, with a core set of values, passing that on other generations of zoos and and you know that that's a worthwhile goal absolutely uh because it makes everyone healthy happy and zooey you are absolutely correct i think that especially zeta farine has a great core value system that i think has played such a huge role in why they have been successful and uh, i think it is worth passing on well uh thank you for hanging out and talk with me is there anything else you wanted to add before we finish up once again i, I just want to repeat what I said at the outset that uh, sitting down and listening to this show has really helped to instill in me a different idea of how to approach this conversation of being more positive, of focusing on my friends, focusing on more positive people, because people that are not really trying to be good do not really deserve my attention, whereas people that are do deserve my attention. And those people deserve more of my attention than somebody that just wants to troll. Right. You guys have really gotten that across to me, and I am adopting that, and, and I do buy into that quite a whole lot. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you for joining us, Sigma. You have a wonderful day, and we'll be right back with more Zooey in the Now right after this. Uh, thanks, Toggle. And now... Zuya Than Thou presents Zoo Poetry Theater. Daylight filters in, silken fur against my face. I respond in kind. Warm, breezy summer. We meet each other in shade. Aroma of cat. Another bong rip pales in comparison to the love we both share. A lack of transport will not stop us from meeting. I'll walk the distance. Night, cool city air. I start the trek to see him. 
magnolia scent. Another journey, music accompanies me, my passion draws me. Heartbeat shared through touch, a rough juxtaposition, intimate we love, rough tongue on my skin, my breathing matches texture, I softly stroke him, happily purring, lovingly petting softly, contentment quite clear. Hiding love within, away from the world at large, fearful of bigots, a fond memory. The pain of loss hits again, yet I regret not. A lifetime too short, no time would have been enough, but we spent it well. Silenced by hatred, the heart grows cold and bitter. Expression can heal. Poetic release. These words accumulated, finding voice again. Dedicated to Pi. Welcome back to Ask Zooey, the top-rated cross-species advice show that's been renewed for a second season. I'm your famously amorous host, Zooey. And I'm Toggle, a big gay rat with a penchant for smooching Great Danes. Oh, you. <laughs> How was Hawaii, Zooey? Oh, it was a grand adventure. Sunny beaches, enchanting aromas, and of course more horny guys than I could handle. But I'm happy to be back at home and spending time with all of you this evening. If you're joining us for the first time, remember that you too can be a part of the show. Wire a telegram, send a fax, or post on our BBS, and we'd love to respond to your questions on the air. We're here to enhance your relationships, no matter what species you are. So, without further ado, let's jump into it. Our next letter is from Randy the Ram from the Rockies. Randy writes, Dear Zooey, thanks to my ad that ran on the podcast last month, I've had quite a number of guys call me for a good time. But I found that I'm having trouble performing with certain guys who are bigger than I am. How do I get my equipment to stop acting up during these situations? Oh, the troubles of insecurities. Indeed. Very little kills a boner like feeling inadequate. Now, Randy, I seem to recall you boasting a proud five inches on your adorable little ad. But I also couldn't help but notice you seem incredibly unsure of yourself. In bed, confidence is key. And that's kind of a two-way street. On the one hand, you really have to have confidence in yourself. But it's also nice when your partner fosters a sense of self-confidence in you as well. Remember, they heard your ad, and they wanted what you offered. Something you've got gets them going. There can be a lot of pressure on tops to perform adequately in bed. And with that comes expectations about size, girth, and stamina. How long are you? And how long do you last? But the real truth, Randy, is that sex is weird and awkward and messy, and sometimes funny. It rarely goes as you imagine it will, but all of that is stuff that's worth celebrating and enjoying. When you're caught up in your head about meeting all these expectations, it can be even harder to perform. You have to let those things go. Play to your strengths. You may not be terribly large, but I know Gokoks can really pack a punch to the prostate, and that, my friend, is a strength. Now, my experience is that goats don't last terribly long, so compensate with foreplay. 
I'm willing to bet you've got some glorious balls, Randy. And if you give your bottoms time to explore your body, and you take your time exploring theirs, by the time you hop on top, they'll be ready to pop. But it does really all come back down to self-confidence. Being comfortable in your skin, and having a good time with your playmates. You know I'm a size queen, but Tago likes guys of all sizes. Oh, yes indeed. Guys with smaller dicks are more fun to suck on, in my opinion. And sometimes big is too big. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, not all of us are talented enough to take a stallion flare. Hmm, I suppose it is a talent. The point is, Randy, that every different body type has something special and unique to offer, and your biggest challenge is going to be being comfortable enough in your skin to see a human's 8-inch cock and realize that 5 inches is really all you need to pound his prostate. And after all, they wanted to get rammed by a Randy Ram, didn't they? You've already got everything you need. So let go of all those expectations and focus on having fun and enjoying intimate time with your new partners in play. You got this, Randy. Good luck. And with that, folks, our time has once again come to an end. Thank you for sticking with us for a second season of Ask Zooey. We'll see you next time. Same zoo time, same zoo channel. Thanks, friends, for listening to Zooier Than Thou. Join us next time as we discuss the furry fandom. It promises to be a bowl full of yif. <laughs> Don't miss it. You see, <laughs> you can subscribe to the podcast via our Zooey RSS feed. Just point your favorite podcast client at rss.zoo.wtf and off you go. You can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are distributed. YouTube, Alexa, or the really fruity one. Our podcast website is still zoo.wtf, as in what the fuck? They got a second season. Our Twitter is at zooier than thou, and you can follow Zooey's naughty advice at ask Zooey. Follow Toggle at one big grumpy rat. And follow me, Sigma Tozita, on Zooville, where I write a weekly blog. A reminder that we have a form that enables anonymous submissions to the podcast on our website, zoo.wtf. You can share your vision for the Zooey future. Ask Zooey about using catnip to enhance your sex life. Or send us a handful of letters you inexplicably mashed on the keyboard. You can also simply email us at mail at zoo.wtf. How mail is it? It's got a sheath and a knot. That's the kind of mail I'm looking for. <laughs> that new podcast format on zoo.wtf looks pretty snazzy. Check it out, or better yet, share it with a friend. You can now find all your favorite parts with the chapter select feature. All non-humans who contributed to this podcast are devoted to a positive future where the world recognizes that humans can consent to sets with animals. By diligence and patience, the rat bit through the cable. Keep at it, fellow zoos. We'll get there. A reminder to donate to our Help Save My Dot Dog campaign. It's a new zoo year and more important than ever to contribute. Even if you contributed before, please consider contributing again. Help Jason's dog Lucy walk again. We can do it. Helping animals is in our bones, so let's put it to work. I am Sigma, resident shoulder dragon. And I'm Toggle, the rat and goggles. And you've almost finished listening to Zooier Than Thou. Stay defiant, fellow zoos. We'll see you next time. You feel like howling at the moon. Arr, 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 arr. Oh, 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 oh,